Hello and welcome to OU's Nach Yomi. You can find this year posted at ouradio.org/nach or on my website ericlevy.com under the recording section. Hi, this is Rabbi Eric Levy, and I'm pleased to bring to you Chapter 37 of the Book of Eov. If you remember, we were right in the middle of a thunder and lightning storm brought on by the imagination of Elihu. The more I think about the last two verses, by the way, in the previous chapter, the more I think that is definitely describing God casting lightning with his hands at various targets. Now, in the 1200s of the Common Era, there was a person who divided this book up into chapters, and he broke up chapter 36 and 37, which really is a single speech, and in a sense it really should be a single chapter. And he broke it up because the chapter would be too big. Uh, the last chapter was 34 verses, this chapter is 24 verses. Um, but he found a very good place to break it up, because the first verse in chapter 37, which we're about to encounter, has Elihu inserting his own feelings right in the middle of his description of a storm. <laughs> Even for this, which means not only in addition to the description that I've given you about the storm previously, also for the continuing description that I'm going to give, my heart quakes, it is unstrung from its position. There's an image that hasn't changed in 3,000 years, the beating heart, the, the, you know, the heart beating out of one's chest. That's not nearly as poetic as, uh, as uh, the book of Eov has it. Listen well to his earth-shaking sound, the speech that exits his mouth. Now this line is important not only because it is a continuation of uh, continuing to describe the thunderous storm. And not only that, but it creates a personification of the thunder as God's anger. And his, uh, uh, but it's also important because Elihu here, by talking about the words that come out of God's mouth in the form of thunder, is recalling the argument that he made in chapter 33, which is as follows. God does speak to man, but not in words. God gives him premonitions, and if that doesn't work, he, he gives him physical disciplining. Um, so here, Ali, who essentially is introducing a third way that God speaks to man. And as he said, man can see this form of quote-unquote speech from very far away. And its beauty and power is so inspiring that it moves people to song and to poetry. Now, the word rogas tells us that this speech, quote-unquote speech, this way of God communicating, that there's agitation and anger. However, there is also a sense of glory that is, Eli was describing that some storms kill and some storms also bring life. He can be seen underneath all of the skies and his light can be seen to the corners of the earth. This seems to be talking about the lightning, which can, whose strikes can be seen very far away. After it, that is after the lightning, there is a roar of sound. That's, of course, thunder. He trumpets with his mighty voice. No one can follow it. Literally, no one can be on its heels, Yaakovim, when its sound is heard. Now, many of the Mephoshim translate the word Yaakovim as to prevent, as if the clouds can't prevent the sounds from coming out. But I think the sense here is that a person... Uh, can't know, he can't predict where lightning will strike. And by the time he, and by the time he hears the thunder, 
um, the lightning is already gone, only to then strike in another place, which is equally unpredictable. God trumpets out his voice. He works wonders, great things beyond our ken, beyond our understanding. Even to snowy commands, go be on the earth, go be on the ground. He commands the rain showers and then the rain that pours with his power. Now, before I translate this verse, I should point out the word lachtom, which means to seal, to close up, um, to put a mark on sometimes, recalls chapter 33, verse 16, which said, God's discipline will open up the ears and it will seal things, which means he'll get his message across one way or the other. I think that's the sense here as well, that is, with all of these lightning storms and strikes, God sort of seals that uh, image or his message into man that he's in control of nature. Alternatively, Ibn Ezra translates this as an agricultural sense, that is, after all the rain, man must seal things up with his hand, meaning he must sow his seeds and plow the fields and, and then make sure everything grows right, and that's a way of seeing that God's hand is in this world. Another translation may actually fit even better with the next verse, which is that man's hand, his work in the field, is stopped by these storms as man takes shelter. And that fits in with the next passage. Even a beast comes in from his place of ambush and dwells in its den. So as the storm is getting worse and worse based on Eliu's descriptions, first we had rain and mist and then thunder and lightning and then the lightning was really thrown and now we have... Uh, uh, a kind of snow or maybe hail and a torrential downpour. So every living creature scurries for shelter. From the cheder comes the windstorm and from the mazar comes the cold. I didn't translate uh, cheder or mazar, but the image here is that God opens up the places in the heavens where these forces are stored up. And the Ramban says that both of these names, cheder and Mizarim or Mazar are um, constellations, places in the skies where God sends his forces from. Cheder, according to the Ramban, is Chadrei Teiman, which may be the Southern Cross. And Mazar seems to be another installation based on how we'll see it used in the next chapter. Minishmat El Karach Verochav Mayim Bimutzak. From the breath of God comes frost and broad waters are cast. I think the image is like a person who stands in the cold and breathes out the condensed moisture, that moisture that kind of like a, a fog that comes out of somebody's mouth when they're breathing out into the cold. Uh, and then that fog, that moisture, touches um, streams of water running rivulets and waterfalls and turns them into cast ice, uh, icicles. I mean, keep in mind, even the Niagara Falls freezes up in the winter. Now, the focus of the poet zooms onto a single cloud. Af biriatriach av yafitz anan oro. He even burdens the clouds biri, which means with, bi, with, ri. And ri is a difficult word, but it seems to mean the overflowing water. And it's a short form of the word rivaya, like kosi rivaya, my cup overflows. Uh, a similar morphology where a large word is taken into a small word, a very small word, um, is found in Yishayahu chapter 4, 
uh, with the word ki. It says ki tachayofi, which means a burn uh, instead of beauty. And ki is short for kivya. So the vav yud hey is erased. Just like here we have ri instead of rivaya. Uh, getting back to the verse, the cloud, that is this overloaded cloud, which is bursting with water, blasts out its light, meaning it's lightning. And it swirls and tumbles according to his, that is God's direction, so that it can do its job, or the job God wants it to do, whatever he commands them over the face of the land and towards the earth, which means the cloud, the way the clouds sometimes really move in a storm across the sky and they swirl and they change forms and there's no limit essentially, according to Elihu, where this cloud can't be sent in order to bring down God's reign on the earth if God wants it to do so. Im l'shevet, im l'artso, im l'chesed, yamzi ehu. A very beautiful pasuk. Whether for the staff, and that means a staff of punishment. We've seen that word used in that way before in Sefer Yov. Or l'artso, for the needs of the land. Im l'chesed, or for acts of kindness. He, God, makes the cloud be found there. Um, I think that there is a tremendous insight into this verse, which really sums up the entire uh, imagery and description of these massive thunder and lightning storms, which is as follows. God works essentially in three ways, I think, according to this verse, where there are three purposes to God's um, awesome application of himself in this world. One is l'shevet, to to punish. The other one is l'chesed, which is to reward. And a third one is l'artso, which means just to keep things functioning in the natural world as God designed them to do. So sometimes when it rains, it's a punishment. Sometimes when it rains, it's a it's a gift. And sometimes when it rains, it just rains because God needs the world to work that way. Now, Eliu checks to see if Eov has gotten his point. Ha- Eov, give ear to this. Stop and understand the wonders of God. Can you know how God controls all this? How he shines lightning out of his clouds, light out of his clouds. The word hofia here often, actually here in, in many other places in Tanakh, the word hofia indicates a revelation uh, of God. Hofia mi adom. Hateda al miflaseav miflaot tamim tamim deim. Do you know how he spreads out storm clouds, wondrous and perfect in knowledge? Uh, I'm translating the miflaseav as I did for mifriseav from the previous verse with the swap of a shin for the resh. Although we could stick it, we could stay with uh, miflasot uh, from the word palace, which means a level or measured. So maybe it means that in chapter 36, God had mastery over spreading out the clouds. And in chapter 37, he has mastery over smoothing them out as he wishes. Next, Elihu continues with things that Eov can't understand or control. Asher b'gadel chamim behashkit eretz midarom. Or do you understand how your clothes warm up as the land quiets down from the south? This is probably something which makes sense in Israel where it's hot most of the time. So you could have this cold winter storm which blows away and is immediately replaced by a surprising warm front that moves right in from the south, right in from the desert, which means that you, while you're wearing all these heavy winter clothes, all of a sudden you're uh, sweating under the uh, uh, under the um, 
the hot desert winds. Now, I lived in Israel for 10 years, and I can't remember something, a change quite as dramatic as that. And actually, uh, something close happened to me when I was in San Bernardino Mountains, California. I lived in Upland, California. And I remember a hailstorm that came out of the north, right over Mount Baldy, and it put an inch in no time. The skies turned from blue to black, and it put an inch of ice down on the soccer field next to the apartment I was living in. And then as soon as the storm passed, the weather returned to the usual California heat, and the ice started to evaporate away. Tarkia imo lishchakim chazakim kiri mutzak. Will you spread out with him the heavens? That is, can you be his partner as he spreads out the heavens and make them strong like molten light? Chazakim kiri mutzak. The ancients thought that the heavens were hammered into a thin dome uh, over the earth, and in fact, the Hebrew word to put a plating on something is larkia. Um, the image here is of the sky after the storm made of light cast into a solid form. Or perhaps uh, the word mutzak also can mean not only cast, but molten, the process of being cast. So the sense of all the myriad colors bleeding into one another right after the storm is done. In any event, the point is, Eov can't do any of this. So explain it to us, which really means explain it to me, to Elihu, what should we say to him that would be arranged out of darkness? And and well, I think what he's what he's doing here, Elihu, one possibility is that he's returning to the legal sense of the word La'aroch, which, if you remember, meant to present a legal argument that Eov has been calling to do. So he's saying, what good is it that you're calling for a legal argument if God is so beyond you, then essentially you're talking out of darkness, and the darkness here is a metaphor for ignorance. Um... On the other hand, darkness may actually be referring or staying with the storm imagery, which means can you really organize and control nature in the face of the darkness of this kind of storm? Continuing on, And here too we have two, two possibilities. Either we're talking legalistically or we're talking storm. Uh, related. So, on the legal side, we could translate as follows. If I speak, will things be explained to him? That is, will, will it make any sense to God, considering that he, he is way beyond us? Uh, or is there anything that we could say that God does not already know? Continuing on, if a man speaks, will his speech be swallowed? Or perhaps, if we say that it is a storm sense, we could say, can I... Uh, uh, when I speak, do you think I could scatter the clouds with my speech? Will it, the cloud or the storm, be swallowed by the words of man? The, it's a rhetorical question, which means no, you have no control over these things. And now, when there, no light was visible, lo ra'u or, when nobody could see any light, because we were in the middle of the storm, the skies are clear, bahirhu bashchakim, a wind has passed and purified him. This is certainly returning to the image of the storm, which is now over suddenly, and the sky clears. But there is also still the metaphor, and I think it's the metaphor of a person who did not see the light may suddenly be flying clear skies. That is, all of a sudden, the wind, the Spirit of God, will blow into him, will purify him, and he'll be able to see things that he wasn't able to see before. Mitzafon zahav from the north, the gold comes, meaning the golden rays that are permeating the now clearing skies of the storm that came on suddenly and is now left suddenly. On God, is the awesome glory. And I think the image is that the lightning golden sky is seen as the crown of God. And of course, metaphorically, the light and the gold of wisdom of God are beginning to shine on the people. 
But with all the light after the storm being a sign of God's glory, Shaddai lo mitzan nuhu, sagi choach umishpat, v'rob lo yi'anes. Shaddai, God himself, we have never found him. He is, his elevated power and justice, his great righteousness, uh, all of those things he has, but he does not cause affliction. Um, if we're reading the word ya'ane as affliction, because it's in the PL and that's its proper meaning, so I guess the sense is that while God does punish, uh, like in a storm, he punishes not to afflict, but only to teach and only when necessary. Now, if we understood ya'ane in a kal form, and sometimes, very rarely, they're interchangeable, uh, they switch meanings. So it would mean to answer. And the sense would be, he is so elevated, do not expect, lo ya'aneh, do not expect an answer from him. Which, of course, is weird, because we have God's answer in the next chapter. Nonetheless, there is a sense of this idea that Elihu was saying, that God is beyond us, and therefore you really cannot communicate with him and don't expect to go for God to answer directly, regardless of whether he does not in, in, in the next chapter. And this kind of ties into the next verse as well, which is the final verse, not only of this chapter, but of the speech, and in fact of all of Elihu's speeches. I guess he feels that the education of Eov is complete. Lachain yireuhu anashim lo kol lev. For all of this, men fear him. That is, everything I've described up to this point, men fear him, they're in awe of him. Even though the wisest of heart, kol chachmelev, or of mind, really the wise of mind, never get to see him, lo yireh, will not see him. But Eov, of course, will see him, or at least hear from him in the storm in the next chapter. And keep in mind that with all the storm imagery, it's kind of a setup to God speaking to Eov from the storm, min hasarah.